This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to this special Remembrance Day edition of Fight Back. again don't know where don't know when but i know we'll meet again some sunny day that of course is the incomparable vera lynn singing the world war ii standard we'll meet again and there is no sentiment more suitable to this strange and solitary 2020 Remembrance Day. An Angus Reid poll finds that fewer than 3 in 10 Canadians will attend or have attended Remembrance Day ceremonies this year, and that is in accordance with what the authorities have been asking of us. But the results also indicate that virtual attendance or alternate forms of commemoration are no substitute for the ability to take part in person. And this, as our collective memory of the key conflicts our country was involved in, are fading. As we mark the 75th anniversary of the end of the Second World War, more than a quarter of Canadians never learned about it in school, and a third never learned about the First World War. Only 2% of respondents rank the Second World War as having caused the most deaths, followed by the 1918 influenza pandemic and the First World War. Well, we've been doing our best to remember by way of radio. So let me give you the numbers we'd like to hear about how you and your family have been affected by Canada's wars. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And now I would like to welcome World War II veteran Jim Parks, who took part in the Allied invasion of Juneau Beach on D-Day, and Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, Associate Professor of History at the University of Waterloo. Welcome, and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Libby. Let us begin with Jim Parks. Uh, I'm sure that this day brings back a flood of memories for you. What is uppermost in your mind? On Remembrance Day, you start actually recollecting your memories uh, in in the days leading up because there's a lot of good coverage in the media and there's a lot of good stories, and it sort of gets you all... uh, all set up for the uh, day itself. And normally I would have been at, at some ceremony at a church or something. Like uh, the New Market, there's a church I usually go to and the, the, uh, have, they have a service. And last year they had the service and I was lucky enough and I gave the talk for about 10 minutes. It's, uh, but this year it's, uh, we're at home. I'm all, I, I still got dressed up in my blazer and everything else. Just, it's just part of the day. 
and it's a, it's a, you know, you get up, shower, shave, and put on a, put on your blazer and your tie, and you're all set to go. But it, today there's a, a many at home. We have a family come, family over, and that uh, we've been watching the ceremonies on the uh, from Ottawa on the to television together, and that's uh, that, that's the way our day has been going. It's, it's uh, what it brings is... back your memories. I have a lot of good memories of good friends and all the rest. I, I re- like to remember the the good times. Uh, there were tough times too, but uh, uh, you you bring those up once in a while. Uh, you landed on the beach in in D Day. Is that the strongest memory? What what do you think of? Uh... Well, that's one of the the going in. It was kind of rough. It's. Uh, uh, you had a strong wind coming in, and, and later on, I, I read about it. They said the, the, the it was four six uh, out of a one to ten, but we know the water was pretty rough, and it's uh, a few of the boys got seasick, and uh, they gave us pills uh, to, to swallow ahead of time. But uh, the key to the thing when to keep you from getting getting seasick is try to keep your head above the uh, gunnels. They they wanted to keep your head down, but I always stuck my my head far enough up so I could I could see, and that that was the trick of uh, avoiding getting seasick. But it, it was kind of rough, and we our our boat hit a mine, and uh, our, our our landing craft uh, they have a, a sort of a ramp that, that drops down because we were in a landing craft tank in which we had two mortar carriers on it, and two armored bulldozers were in the front, and they, their purpose was to drop off, and they had uh, grappling hooks on the end. And two sappers who are privates, uh, they had these rig ropes with hooks on. They would drag these obstacles out of the water, which allow the uh, landing craft with the infantry to come in, and they wouldn't get hit. But uh, that didn't work out because it was too rough, and, uh, and actually a couple of the landing craft did hit mines on those obstacles and caused a lot of damage, and a few boys uh, were killed. But it, uh, we got in, was uh, they dropped us off, and with the... The water was too deep, and our our carrier sank, and so uh, we had to make make it make the shore by swimming in. And we had we had life preservers on, but they weren't that strong, so you dropped your equipment off. Otherwise, you it would pull you under under that. Uh, it wouldn't hold you that far up. So I just unhooked the equipment, and I had to leave everything on my carrier because uh, normally you you leave your rifle and everything on because we had mortars, and we had to handle the mortars. Uh, uh, to uh, when we landed, but uh, like I said, the uh, the first carrier went off and that it it sank and we we said go to go closer to the shore. But the uh, we had an overzealous commander of the boat and he said no no you have to get off anyway you have to get off or far enough in. So we got off and we sank too, and so I started to swim and I got sideswiped by a landing craft coming in and I swallowed a lot of water. And I gradually got to the beach, and I, I plopped down beside the, the Corporal, Corporal Scaife, who'd been uh, with Charlie Company, and he'd been mortally wounded. So since I had no equipment, I, I took his sten gun, and I, I rolled him over and t- took a small pack, and, uh, and I made my way to the, uh, the sand dune and the pillbox, and uh, we were all set to go in. Once we got past the sand dune, it was, it was kind of quiet, and it was kind of quiet that first day, except for snipers. We made our way to a little village called Puto, and that's where the, that's where things really got hot because on the by the, this time it was the eighth of June, 
and the uh, the Germans uh, they launched a counterattack with the uh, with the 12th SS tank division, which is mainly Hitler Youth, and that was uh, Hitler's uh, uh, personal division that he looked after. They're all Hitler Youth people that grew up in the services and uh, when they're 15 and 16, and they were all 18 and 19 when they when we hit the beach, and they they had the best of the equipment. So that was our opposition. And it, uh, it the meat the wheat fields around there were about three or four feet high, and uh, they infiltrated all over. First thing you know, they're, they're in the uh, in the areas all around us, and uh, we had to make our own way. And uh, I ended up with a, another corporal from Charlie Company. And we ended up going along this bush. We were told to, to neutralize the bush by uh, by uh, firing our, our, our automatic weapons to neutralize it. And it's a good thing we were sent that way because right after we, within a minute after we left the uh, the company, that's when the um, the main force hit that Puteau, village of Puteau, and we lost quite a few people. We lost quite a few on the beach, about 159. And we lost another over 200 plus a bunch a bunch were captured. So we uh, we're what down to thing. about um, one company uh, plus the headquarters, which is about 200 men by that time. That's it, all we had left of about 500. Wow, that that uh, that, that was the second day we lost that over three over 200 on the beach too. Ter- terrible. Um, let's let's bring in Dr. Hayes. Dr. Hayes, this is a, obviously a very a vivid memory. It it comes as our collective memory is fading. Well, that's true. You know, uh, Mr. Parks here is is a, a rare, uh, a wonderful resource, isn't he? I mean, absolutely. Uh, we don't have too many veterans anymore, let alone veterans that landed at Juneau Beach. So his uh, his accounts of, of landing, if, if your listeners are familiar with Juneau Beach, they, some of them might have been to Juneau Beach Center, and, and Mr. Parks landed just about at the kind of front door of the Juneau Beach Center in a little village called Courcel. So everything he's describing, boy, oh boy, the intensity of that day and the days following, um, those are... Those are pretty uh, amazing to hear from from this gentleman because, uh, as I say, there aren't a lot of people left from from that time. Well, absolutely, and and uh, you know it, it it's so interesting, Jim Parks, that your memory of this, which happened so long ago, is so vivid and so detailed. Um, it it's really quite something to hear. Well, what's happened over the uh, over the years? I do talks at schools, and uh, I had a, a friend of mine, a, a, a fellow called David Zeldin. He put together a bit of a some. You know, I got sitting with him, and, and I, I jot down my memories to make sure I knew what I I did. And I over the period of time, if you sometimes I wake up at night, I remember something, I jot it down, and uh, I incorporate it into the um, into what I already knew. And so I have a PowerPoint, which I, I take with me. It's made up this David Zelvin, and he'll put it together. And he's also incorporated the, um, a few scenes he picked from the newsreels to sort of highlight what I was saying, like landing craft and so on. So it, it makes for a good presentation. So consequently, uh, my memory is, uh, is being enhanced because I've been doing all this, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's important that we have the memories. Dr. Hayes, I mean, um, 
I was surprised in that Angus Reid poll that only two two percent of of the people who responded knew that the biggest loss of life was in the Second World War, and I think uh, something that's uh, very significant for our time now. The second was the nineteen eighteen pandemic. Sure, sure. Amazing how history. I don't say want to keeps coming around, but we still have so many things to learn from it, and uh, and the pandemic is is one of those things that we've tended to forget over the years and now it's come back to haunt us. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, on a day like Remembrance Day to be able to, to listen to Mr. Parks and to talk about his recollections, which are so rare. But I, I try to emphasize to my students that, that in so many ways, the first and second world wars are the most important things that Canadians have ever done. And, and the, we certainly have the, the numbers of, graves in France and Italy and uh, in Hong Kong, in Belgium, the Netherlands, to show that. And 100,000 dead over two world wars. So many others lost in Korea and peacekeeping in Afghanistan. So it is a day to reflect a little bit on that and, and perhaps to deal with those large numbers. It's hard, I think, for a new generation, new generations of people to... Um, to deal with that, we're we're in a new Canada with uh, so many uh, new Canadians and uh, people whose families perhaps um, aren't as uh, well. Perhaps we're part of the countries where Canadians fought seventy five years ago. So it's a it's a constant challenge, I suppose. But it's a great opportunity. We've got so many great resources that uh, we've developed over the years now to be able to talk with veterans, to be able to. Uh, understand something about the experience. So it's it's a fun opportunity, I suppose, as we move forward to try to teach new generations about what Canadians have done over this time. Well, and you know, it, it's, uh, for instance, my family, my parents came here after the war because they were displaced Jewish refugees. Yeah. And so we are very grateful to the Canadians and the other allies uh, and to Canada for giving us a home. But really, even though it all happened before I was born, the Second World War was the momentous uh, event that certainly shaped my family. And there are tens of thousands of, of people like me. And uh, it, it's, you know, it it is frankly shocking to me that there is a young generation that has no idea about this. And in historic terms, 75 years is not that long. <laughs> the thing well, I like to true. remember here is uh, we had uh, one fellow called Jimmy Keir, and we, the time we got, we were getting overrun in Bouteau, and there weren't anybody, uh, we're not a few many uh, carriers. Uh, the Sergeant Pete Enns, he's from Peace River District, he was, uh, he hollered, everybody get on and let's, let's, we have to go back to this road and there's Jerry's on both sides, so just, uh, throw your grenades and just keep firing as you go by, but there was not enough, uh, room for Jimmy Keir and Billy Hood. So Jimmy, for Jimmy Keir said, I'll stay back and, and cover you guys and catch up with you later, but the, unfortunately he didn't, he didn't get, uh, he got captured and, uh, Two days later, they're marching all these POWs down the road, and the, uh, our Allied planes come over. They couldn't tell whether it's Germans. They just took to be Germans, and they started to come over the strafe. And the German uh, prisoners, uh, guards, they wouldn't allow them to go into the ditch. 
They, they said, you stay on the, you stay on the road. Otherwise, if you try to get off in a ditch or a fire, so that the prisoners were, Canadian prisoners were left on the road and, the, the, uh, the Jimmy Keir was one of the ones that, uh, was shot up by the, uh, our own Allied planes. And we had another fellow called Cook, Cookie, who's a, uh, native Cree from Selkirk, Manitoba. He got badly, he got badly wounded. And he's, uh, he, the story about him, he, he kept on having, he got, I thought he had a bad cold, you know. He had a, his leg was shot, so they, they, they end up, um, he ended up going through the American medical system and they took him back to England and they, they got into the Canadian system and they checked him out and they said, he had any other complaints because he had this wound in his shoulder and a wound in his leg. He said, I, I can't get rid of this cough. So he checked him out. He had a piece of shrapnel in the larynx of his throat. Oh, my God. No wonder he had a cough. He eventually lost his leg. He, uh, he continued on in, in Winnipeg, and he, uh, he, he was from Selkirk. Like I said, he was a, he was a full-blooded Cree. From, uh, and the thing you notice, about, we always notice about him, he had pure blue eyes. You know, and he said, how come a Cree can have blue eyes? There must be some Scotsman that ended up in Selkirk, you know. So it, it was... Uh, that's a little story about Jimmy Keir and, and Billy uh, and Billy Hood and Cookie. Okay, um, let's take a call from Tony in Keswick. Hello, Tony. Hello, good day, and happy Veterans Day to all those beautiful veterans that helped us out and get us this beautiful life we have now, and uh, because of them. But uh, can I give you a little insight from the Italian side? A quick, quick. My dad was in World War Two. On the other Vetra, side. My my uncle. Yeah, from the other side. My uncle. Um, uh, is MIA still after uh, from World War II? And 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 my dad would never. He said if he ever saw any soldier, he would shoot over his head to warn him. So that way, they, you know, he never. Really not, my dad was a lieutenant. I think it was he was high up there, and he never ever. And when he came to Canada, whenever he met a a soldier, a Canadian soldier, he hugged him. And the only time I see my dad have a tear in his eye is uh, and he was so. Uh, uh, he always wanted to be on the Canadian side. Let's put it that way. And and. Uh, uh, and, and you know, he told me told me stories that were unbelievable stories. And uh, as we we're growing up and everything, but uh, I never seen my dad cry. He never spoke about the war unless you ran into somebody, or unless uh, he always kept quiet about that. And that's what these men are men, and, and they're heroes, and and not the athletes. I don't care. You know, I played football in Hamilton, and we weren't. You know, I used to feel guilty because my dad was a hero. My uncle Vince is a hero. Who was an MIA in the war, and and these guys are all um, doing something that. Uh, uh, eventually, hopefully, it ended up well. So my dad came to Canada. He adored Canada. Uh, just a quick thing: my nephew played for World. He played for Italy in the World Juniors, and my dad was still cheering for Canada <laughs> when he played. Italy played Canada. My dad cheered for Canada because Canada is a beautiful country, and, and he loved it. So until uh, the day he passed away. So, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was tough times back then. So yep. and, and back then, one more quick little bit back then. When your son or daughter went off to war, it seemed like they were a million miles away. Now, I was watching a sniper the other night. One minute, he's talking to his wife on the phone. The next minute, he's pinging out some people, right, And in, in, in Iraq. And it, 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 this media nowadays has brought us so much closer. Back then, it felt like they were, they were a million miles away. My poor grandma and my mom and, and, and my, my aunts, who, were, you know, who had, who had uh, their brothers in the war, were all like, never know what's going on uh, until somebody knocked on your door and said, uh, you know, something He's not here anymore or whatever. So, but God love all these people, these veterans and, and, uh, uh, you know, everybody buy a poppy out there, please. I've got about 10 of them on me right now. Okay. Thanks, Tony, for that. Thanks. 
Um, let me give the numbers out again. If there are other people who have memories of their families and the war, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We are commemorating, commemorating Remembrance Day here on Fight Back. We're talking to Jim Parks, who is a World War II veteran, and Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. And Dr. Hayes, a lot of people see that we became a nation as a result of the First World War. Do you agree with that? Nope. <laughs> Canada was a nation in 1867. Uh, I'm always, uh, I, I have my um, chronology, I, I guess, is important to me. Uh, Vimy Ridge was an important battle. The First World War was an important, uh, the Canada played an important role uh, to it, it, it is a, a great narrative that emerges from the First World War, that Canada is a colony and becomes a nation. It, it, uh, it's a way for us to understand the war, and it's how so many kids still learn about the war. Um, I think it's a far more complex journey that Canada has taken uh, from, from the First World War, either before or after. But uh, Canada was a, a, a nation before 1914, and uh, it certainly emerged in many respects uh, as a uh, as a signatory to the Versailles Treaty, which ended the First World War. Uh, but I think that I think in some ways Canada's independence is marked more by the Second World War, that we declare war, we declare ourselves in a state of war after the British in September of 1939. And and to me, just having studied the army for so long, the, the decision that we make in that momentous period in 1939, when Mr. Parks was just a young guy, uh, is is to me a remarkable one because the Americans, of course, weren't in the war. The uh, the the war that we became involved in changed so dramatically, and it threw us into a position that well, that found Canadians fighting on the Normandy bridgehead. Uh, a role that we never thought we would have played. So we we somehow managed to, despite all odds, uh, uh, fashion a, a force of really quite remarkable numbers. And people like Jim Parks were there to to play a role far out beyond what our small numbers of Canadians would have otherwise suggested. You know, the Canadian Army had a, a little bit more swagger than the rest. We got along well with the English uh, soldiers. The Americans didn't. The Americans got along with us, and we got along with everybody. So we had a bit of a more of a swagger, and we'd, uh, we seemed to be uh, the sort of a go-between them all. And it was... Uh, yeah. And I, actually, I, I want to mention that uh, I've been appointed as an ambassador to the Juno Beach Center, ambassador. They're raising funds through the running room website to, uh, to uh, keep the center going, because uh, right now they're closed up during the pandemic, and uh, they're running short of funds, so... Uh, I'm just putting his pitch in there for the for the Juno Beach Center. It's a, it's not only represents Juno Beach. If you've ever been there, it's got a, they have a dioramas and they also have a, a various descriptions of what the Canadians did doing at home and different theaters of war in the, in the world at that time. So it's it's like a it's a it's actually a museum. It's mm-hmm. where it all put together and it's a it's well it's a, what you call rust-proof metal, I forget what they call that stuff, and concrete, so it'll last a long time. 
and they could see Juno Beach. It's where I landed. I, I, it's a Sewell's River. It's a small little river that goes beside it, and that's where B Company landed, and that's where I landed with. So I, I can identify almost within 100 yards or 50 yards yeah. of where I landed when I go there. Uh, yeah, I, I I think we were in the midst of planning that trip when the pandemic hit. That sounds like a very good cause. Uh, let me take uh, a couple of very quick calls. We have Ray in Jordan, Ontario. Hello, Ray. Hi, how are you today? Fine, how are you? Good. Just wanted to comment, please, on the end of the war. I was probably four and a half or five years old. <clears throat> I was living at that time, or still do, in the town of Lincoln, but in the small village of Beansville. It had a population of about 600 people. And the war came at the end. My brother and I, Gary, and I built a straw dummy of Hitler. Now, the idea was that when the fire started in the middle of the street, the night of the end of the war, you were supposed to throw the dummy on. But our neighbors beat it, beat us to it. So we carried that straw dummy around town until he actually fell apart. <laughs> so the, the the thing is, it 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 was a lot of cheering, a lot of dancing. Um, my dad owned a shoe store in the middle of town. He put loudspeakers out in front of the store, and uh, everybody just had a great great time that day and for the days after. Now VJ Day. All I can remember on that is they placed a cannon in the small town and fired it down towards the Penn High School. Now, that was a <laughs> blank. But there was only one shell fired when VJ uh, happened. It was probably around 11 o'clock in the morning. And they moved the cannon to Vineland and uh, Jordan. They, they moved from St. Catharines down the number eight firing this cannon every once in a while, just letting people know that the war was over with with Japan. Hmm. And and wow. both incidences uh, were very spectacular to a young kid at that time of uh, in life. <laughs> okay, That's well, some story. of these some of these memories are really interesting. We're um, basically running out of time. I'm going to take a very quick call from Kim in Brampton. Hello, Kim. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Yeah, I, ju- I just want to say my uh, grandfather, World War One. I. I just want to let people know that they were immigrants who came to Manitoba, worked in the swampy fields. They could they could not own land back then. Where were uh, they from? They were from out near Toulon, so Camarno, the big mosquito land. No, no, no. <laughs> where where were they from when they immigrated? Oh. Sorry, they were Ukrainian. Okay, yeah. So they sort of, when when things got bad over there, they 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 came through United States, and then into Canada, and then the wife and came over afterwards. But they weren't allowed because they were immigrants. They weren't allowed to own land. They weren't allowed to buy land. And so after he was in the World War One, uh, he had Canadian status. Da 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 da. You know, and he could now own land. So. For immigrants, Canada didn't start for many until uh, being Canadian fully didn't start till after that. Until uh, after their service. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and I just want to say about my father in World War Two. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I had an uncle uh, at D-Day. I had an uncle on the ships who was in engineering. 
I had another uncle who was 17-year-old going on uh, the land, you know, off, off the boats. And then my father was one of the first in the Winnipeg Rifles on Juneau. Um, oh, wait, so Jim Parks? Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I heard that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I've been there, and it's beautiful. And I did the track of the world, Winnipeg Rifles. And my father is on one of the plaques at Juneau Beach. Right. What's, what, what, yeah. what's oh your God. father's I got name? I a plaque there, too. It's like a brick, eh? Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Kim, what's your father's name? John Soldink. Very uh, unusual name. It was Solodyuk in Ukrainian, but he changed it to Soldink during the war. And don't ask me why he chose Soldink. But <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was just wondering. Maybe Jim Parks knew him. You never know. Same How regiment. Was last name? Soldink. Bolden. Soldink. Balding. Oh, no. okay. Yeah, okay. Some, there was a balding. It was a sergeant balding we had. No, 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 it was Soldink, but that that's okay. Well, that's okay. We, we can sort that out later. Well, uh, Kim, you have, thank you. Do you have time for one tiny story about him? Um, very quick. Okay, very quick. Sorry, but the, my uncle, who was 17 years old, died on the beach. Sorry. Or no, he was captured. <clears throat> but when my father, who was inland, uh, you know, on the front lines by then, um, he when he heard that his 17-year-old brother was killed... He got on it. He was in communication, so he got on his motor, the motorbike, and he just took off. And he took off, and by the time he realized where he stopped, he was across enemy lines. So he said, "Oh, I'm in a pickle. What am I going to do now?" So he just got back on the bike and drove right through the enemy lines, and 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 all these Germans just watched him go through and watched him go back. <laughs> so. Anyways. Anyway, uh, thank you for sharing those stories, Kim. Uh, we really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Okay. And thank you so much, Jim Parks, uh, for sharing your memories, for doing this, and, and for helping us all remember. And also, Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, we really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Well, thank you very much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.